This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be a Belgian national, the child of two Tunisian parents? In this episode, Malik shares with us what it was like growing up as the only family of color in a small town in West Flanders. It's also his story of how his experiences as a Muslim shaped his experiences and views on issues around racism and racists. I'm Fumi, this is Hashagar Racism, and this is the story of Malik. I grew up in West Flanders. It's the Flemish part of Belgium. In this small town, I think we're about 2,000 people living in this town. My brother and my sister, we were the only like people of color, let us say. Both of my parents are Tunisian. They came around their 30s, first to France, and then eventually they made it to Belgium where they settled and decided to have my brother and my sister and me. So it was kind of hard growing up in the sense that both of my parents were not Flemish speaking. So my father could speak French because he worked there for a couple of years before going to Belgium. But my mother, she came straight from Tunisia. She was really in this traditional mindset of, okay, the woman stays at home and take care of the kids while the father goes and work and provides food on the table. My father was just a labor worker in in this big company. My mother was just staying at home and taking care for us. So just to say that both of my parents were really not educated and also not really quite adapted to living in Belgium and really talking the language. Growing up, Malik says that language was an issue for him, his twin brother and his sister. But his parents depended on them. My brother and my sister and I, we were educated in in basically French and Arabic. French more from my father's side, Arabic more from my mother's side. We went to kindergarten where we only spoke French and Arabic. So the teachers and and our classmates had a hard time understanding us. And we also would get the remark of the teacher saying, yeah, uh, I don't really understand what your children are saying. So we were like this click between my brother and my, my sister. We didn't really get along well with other children because there was this language barrier that prevented us to do so. Afterwards, we went to primary school where we started to get into the language, getting yeah, Flemish, uh, all of the basic courses and all of this. It was not easy because we had already this whole delay of knowledge we saw immediately that there were children that were way more comfortable with the language than us, which is quite normal because we didn't even spoke it in, in the kindergarten. So on an intellectual level, I think we were always kind of behind. But there were options and there were also a lot of initiatives from our teachers to give us extra courses and this we also had. So while the other children, for example, went eating during midday, we would have an extra session on pronunciation, exercise, and all of this. And I think this quite helped us a lot. At a certain point, we were basically on the same level, even sometimes better in the language. So yeah, it was challenging times, (laughs) let us say. And it was good at school. At home, it was a little bit less because we found ourselves 
sometimes translating documents we received from <laughs> governmental entities and all of this to our parents who were basically didn't understand anything. And just to give you a context in Belgium, there's a big difference between the French speaking and the Dutch speaking side. So we have also this kind of, let's say, conflict between both. So you will, it's hard to find French documents in this in a Dutch speaking side and vice versa. So it was hard to get it translated. So basically we had to do it with zero knowledge. So sometimes we would just read it, but don't really understand it. But our parents were kind of counting on us. Malik says that starting in elementary school, little by little, he started experiencing processes of othering, which resulted from a combination of faith-based food restrictions and other kids calling him with certain markers. I think if I have to recall a certain moment, it would be the moment where we weren't allowed to eat at school, like this school restaurant. So we were like basically one of the few who would just take their own sandwiches from home and eat them separately or with other classmates, but we would not eat the meals provided by school. It was my parents' choice because we were educated as really Muslims. And basically, why we didn't eat at the school restaurant was purely on the, because they were afraid that we would like, be serving pork or anything like that. We were the only ones. And it's also, yeah, with the school restaurant, also with some of the colleagues starting more and more really pushing that color of skin, for which uh, in the first couple of years, I didn't even notice that we were different. It's quite, it's crazy. And then talking, I think one of the words that was used often was, if I translate it, it's called makak, which is a kind of a, a monkey. And for me, the first time I heard this, I didn't know what it was, because this was a word that was often used to insult people of, of a certain color. And for me, the first time I heard this, and for me, it was weird. I didn't know what it meant. It's just because of my father, because I basically after school, we went home and I said to my father, yeah, they, they call me this word. And then my father, I, I remember seeing his face. He was really furious because he he knew that word because he was also, he said, yeah, some of his colleagues of work was were also calling him like this. And there's where he started to notice that, okay, it, it, it has started. <laughs> And he was also the one that told me, if, you, if someone calls you that word, you should go and report it and you shouldn't, you should defend yourself. That's what he was saying. I still remember that. It was really quite a vivid moment in, in my memories. The same also with my brother. So my brother was that kind of my only friends at this time. So we were really sticking out for each other. Malik says that as name calling escalated and the teachers didn't stand up for them, he and his brother took their father's advice of defending themselves a bit too literally. The name calling and all of this kind of got worse. We saw that it didn't have any impact if we just went to the principal, to the teacher. So we kind of, in a certain way, took matters to our own hands. So we would like see how we can do it. And we became kind of violent types. I think we, I, yeah, I took the advice of my father too literal. And I kind of had some serious fights when we were young. And the same with my brother, we were like really this Batman and Robin. So when it came to people insulting us and, and all of this, and for this, we were also not quite popular at the teachers and principal side. Because I remember the teacher saying, yeah, but Makak, this is just a monkey. Come on, it's not this bad. Whereas this word is really bad because it's known also in Belgium. You shouldn't say that. It's kind of really disrespecting and really racist to say that to someone. Malik says that his teachers not only didn't stand up for them, but they also treated him and his brother in specific ways. Back then, he didn't think too much about it. But today, in retrospect, 
he realizes they were expressions of disrespect and exclusion, likely rooted in racist beliefs. One day we would like go to school and we forgot our lunch boxes and the teacher would say, yeah, come and eat uh, in the restaurant. And then we would like, yeah, okay. We didn't have really an option. So basically we were served something which looked like just meat. And I remember my father always saying, yeah, you should always ask what kind of meat it is just to prevent. And I remember like saying, yeah, uh, what kind of meat is this? And then I would see this teacher like say, yeah, wait, I'm going to ask to the cook. And she would like go, but I could see her like from far away that she didn't even go to the cook. I see her like halfway going back and saying, yeah, he told me there's a, it's chicken. And when we asked the other other teacher or other colleagues from us, they would say, you know, it's pork. I recognize this taste. So this kind of angered my father a little bit more. We didn't have really an option. We were the only ones. We didn't have any empowerment to go and, and play it for this and go to the, the principal office. So we were like really this minority. Also, some days we would like also be forced to go to church in those ceremonies where it wasn't a Catholic school, it was a public school, so it was kind of weird to do that. But after two or three times, my father went and complained. And then basically, when our other classmates went to church, we were like the only ones just in the playground, in the cold, because they closed all the doors. So yeah, it was kind of weird. But at that time, we were like, I wasn't like really fully aware what is racist or what is not racist. So for us, the fact that we are in this playground where the others were in church, although the doors were closed, for me, I didn't perceive it as something racist. Although if you go a little bit further and think about it, it's kind of weird that they closed the door and we were like stuck outside in this cold while others were in church for a couple of hours. So yeah, that was now that I think about it, I didn't know. I don't know. Malik wasn't a big fan of studying, but over time, his father started pressuring him in his studies through what Malik refers to as reverse psychology. My father started giving us a little bit more pressure because he noticed that for certain school subjects, we were not doing quite well. Because of my parents who were not quite educated, who just did primary school and then didn't continue uh, their education, for us, school was really important because they kind of had this feeling of, okay, we didn't have the chance to go to school. Look what we've become in a certain way. So they tried to push us really to the maximum. But we were... We weren't like really very motivated to go to school, let us say. I was more interested in just going playing soccer on the playground than really going and studying. But my father, and he had this really weird way of educating us just by giving us like... He was always going to say, yeah, look at my situation. If you want to do what I do, keep on playing on the playground and keep on ignoring your, your schoolwork and all of this. So this was kind of this reverse psychology-ish that he did, which was really useful because in a certain way, this has motivated me at least to continue my studies and really uh, push for only the best. In Belgium, secondary school is generally divided into three structures, Azu, Tizu, and Bezu. What you need to know from Malik's story is that Azo is a track that prepares students for higher education and Bizo is a track that prepares students for more practical and technical occupations. Often, children of color are advised to pursue Bizo. And this is exactly what happened to Malik and both of his siblings when they were about to enter secondary school. They would tell us, me and my brothers, to go to Bezo, which is like one of the last three options, and which is also being what my father is. We would like go and report to my father. We say, yeah, they advise us to go this, this, this. 
while my father would say, no, you're going to do ISO. And then he immediately chose for us and he put us in Latin Greek, which was one of the most difficult option there was. First, my my sister was already, yeah, she was also forced to do this. And then we were like kind of proud of her. And we would like say when we were, and my brother and I were in the sixth grade, we would like say, yeah, my sister is doing Latin Greek and you advise her to do something else. But now she's doing it and she's killing it. And they would like, yeah, yeah. And it's all like kind of this jealousy, like, oh, no, it's impossible and all of this. And basically when we went also to secondary school, we were also put in this Latin Greek and it was also like kind of a stretchy thing. But my father was proud and he was like, oh, they're not going to end up like me. They're going to do some big studies. So the first three years were really hard because there we really found out that we were lacking a lot of knowledge. And then I kind of regretted that I didn't work as hard as I had to. But we managed the first two years. I think my sister, after the third year, she changed to more humanities studies. My brother went to more economy studies. And I sticked because I wanted to prove that I could do it. So I kind of sticked into Latin Greek until the end of my secondary school. <laughs> so I think it was kind of a pressure from my father indirectly, but I wanted to prove that I could do it. And also, like my father said, I didn't want to end up as him. Malik left his town and moved to Ghent, a city in northwest Belgium, to continue his studies at university. He says he felt strange interacting with a more diverse group of people from different backgrounds because he had spent most of his life surrounded by white people. I didn't have any colored friends. Some of my friends were just Belgians, really was 100% Belgian. And it was weird for me to connect with people from other origins because I would still have this Belgian mindset and also their values. And that changed when I went to university, when I, I left my small town, I went to Ghent, which is a bigger town in Belgium. It's also one of the student towns. They have this big university. A lot of people from diverse countries, from mixed origins. So it was, for me, it was shocking to just leave this small town where I was one of the few and to come to this big city with a lot of origins and all of this. Up until that moment, Malik was only aware of being other due to the construction of his skin color being different. But the period in which Malik was pursuing his degrees coincided with terrorist attacks in the Brussels airport. And that's when he realized for the first time that his faith could be used to other and categorize him something he did not realize until then. In 2015, there was these attacks of terrorists in the Brussels airport. And I remember that there was a big lockdown in Brussels and also in Leuven, which is near to Brussels. So we weren't really allowed to move because these terrorists were still on the move, so they could be like everywhere. So they kind of advised us to not really go out a lot. But I remember I was in my, uh, I think it was in my exam period, and during my exam period, I would like just a whole month and a half, I would just like lock myself in and really don't take care of my appearance. So basically, I had this big beard. It was, I don't know if it was the day of the attacks or the day after. I remember me going to the shop because I needed some groceries to survive. And I would like, it was a weird feeling, which I never had before. And it was really like those fear in, in people's eyes, like looking. And the thing is, they didn't know who the terrorists were. So it might as well be me. And I think that's the feeling I had when I was walking into this shop and doing some groceries. So that's where I kind of noticed this evolution from really more of the, the parent side to, okay, just, just because of the, the more the religion connotation. And I think this only went worse after the years. Albeit an increased awareness that religion was a source of being othered. Malik says he was happy that he was able to reconnect with his faith thanks to the Muslim friends he made during his university years. 
But Malik admits that he initially felt like he was the odd one out because he wasn't used to being surrounded by people who shared any similarities with him. I kind of felt strange. I felt like I'm the this white person and they were like these people from origin and I was like feeling the same situation as I did when I was smaller where I was the guy with different origins and my other colleagues of my other classmates were the these white people. So it was really weird for me and I really had a hard time of adapting to them. And when I tried and when I did, I was really quite happy because we had this understanding of the same values that my parents told us. And this I could easily recognize in these people or who later became friends. So um, for me, that was something like, okay, I, I really found some people who I can really relate to and we can talk about everything because they know how we feel. Most of them were also first generation people who came in here in Belgium or second generation who also had their parents who were not able to speak the language. So we kind of had this understanding and those common points. So it was easier to connect with them. I also must admit that with this connection, my faith came back because my parents were not really those type of parents that would install and would really put pressure on being a Muslim. So we had some values, we had some things that we weren't allowed to do, but it's not that they would push us to go and pray or even Ramadan for doing Ramadan for us. It was an option. My mom would be really happy to if we did it and we kind of did it for her, but it's not that we were pushed to it. What I really appreciated was really the values and, and really the, the values of being a Muslim that we really got from my parents. And this I recognized with my new connection and also with my new environment, it's bigger cities with the, the other, all the other origins. And this really made me to search again, like I was kind of in this identity crisis where I was around 18, 17, I didn't know who I was. So it kind of... Yeah, made me realize that, okay, this is an option. And I really liked it because, as I said, we had common values. We know what we're talking about. We were like laugh of some, some situation because we recognize the same situation as our side. And I would also like get more interested in religion because some of my friends, they were a little bit more advanced in the Islam because their parents were um, a little bit more than moderate. So I wouldn't wear the really typical Muslim clothes, like with this whole, uh, the long clothes with the hat and all of this. I wouldn't wear that, but I would like also let grow my beard, for example. Malik reflects upon his university years where him and his Muslim friends would be considered threatening in the public eye and how his understanding of racism evolved over time. So we were a group of four or five people, men with long beards, kind of. Yeah, if you see us like really in a flash, you would see, okay, well, these are a little bit intimidating. But we were really kind hearted and we would just go in and do what we have to do. But we weren't like really this violent type of persons who were well educated. So it was not something like that. And this is also where taking it also into consideration, we are around 2014, 2015. The situation in Belgium is a little bit intention because yeah we have this refugee people so there was this kind of fear and there was also some stories about this group of girls being harassed by migrants and refugees so you there was this tension and i think also the fact that we were with four or five of our friends that were all muslim and all of this we kind of always said okay it's the fault because we look like so we were kind of blaming ourselves whereas it wasn't really our fault and we were like really harmless <laughs> So this was kind of a weird period because we would already directly blame them and say, okay, they're racist. Never mind, they're racist. They will never understand, for example. So this was like a few years ago, like five years ago. And now I've kind of 
push this aside and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't really mind if they're racist or not. I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to treat everyone equally with respect. And if I don't get the same respect in return, I wouldn't call them racist. So I'm kind of moved away from calling anyone racist. I'm just going to say, okay, this was a certain person that we didn't have a really good connection. So, okay, I'm just going to leave it like this. I'm not going to call him racist just because he didn't treat me the way I treated him, for example. And this is something I think I would call it maturity that came. But for me, racism is is a really a difficult definition. I really evolved from a more apparent side to more a faith side. And now I'm like kind of, a, okay, live your life. I will live mine. And I think if we focus too much on, on this kind of definitions of racism, I think it's kind of a vicious circle. And then you will you will always think of two different sides of us against them. And I think it kind of divides people. And also, I think something which is really important and which is can maybe also eliminate the whole racism and the race paradigm is just to kind of step aside from appearances and from beliefs and just take the time or take just the effort of going and talking to the people and just getting to know them. Like, I think this is something that, that can really have a positive impact because I've experienced this like recently even my parents who are still living in this old town where I grew up they had recently some new neighbors it was a family of five children like really small children and I was like going there and going visiting them it was the first time that I I've noticed that they had new neighbors because I live in Brussels now so I'm I go often but not that much. And I was getting out of my car. I just went home. And then there were like some kids playing around. And I heard one of those kids like call me macaque. I'm like, wow, this word I didn't hear for a long, long time. <laughs> so this kid, I think she was like five or six. She was really small. My first reflex was really this anger. Like I really had this flashback of me being younger with my brother in the, in, on the playground. But then I was like, okay, I stopped because I really made this connection of, okay, this cannot be her fault because at five years old, you don't know the difference between, yeah, someone who has a colored skin or not. So I go, I go to her really friendly and I said, how do you know this word? Like who told you this? And then she would like say, yeah, my father tells this. Like, he, he, he says that. And then I was like immediately thinking about my parents and I just said to her, you know, this is a really a bad word and your father can get a lot of trouble if he keeps on saying that. And then she was kind of afraid and she went back home. I just went inside and I was kind of really shocked about how, like what happens. And afterwards, I just went to the house. I knocked on the door and I said, hello, um, I heard that you were the new neighbors. Welcome. And I would say just, look, if you want anything, we are here. My mother, she loves cooking, so I would make sure that she brings you some cake for the children also. And I just left. And I just, I was, I felt really good when I did that because now my parents, for now, they're still struggling with the language. So my mother couldn't like have gone there and introduced herself or else she would have done i know her so I, I i took like the liberty of doing it by myself and i kind of broke the barrier of okay in dutch we said on weekend is on bement it means like the things that you don't know you will fear automatically or you will dislike 
So that's why just because maybe this neighbor, he never had those like my parents or me talking to him. And that's why he always associated with okay danger or with people who who are not adapted and all of this. And so I took really the liberty to just go and, and just talk to him and introduce myself. And I just went home and I, I left it like this. And I really hope this had an impact on, especially on the children, because they're the future. And I think if you start by educating your children like this, I think it's a lost generation because they will also continue the same way of, of thinking of their parents. And I think in this globalized world and in Europe, I think it's a shame to do that because I think you will you will be more disregarded than anyone else if you still think of this mindset because it's something that it will happen. You know, we're in a global world. We I think in a certain certain future there will not be any more boundaries between countries. You know, we will just move along and go. And, and I think it's important to keep that in mind and also to give people a chance and, and not stop just by appearances or by religion or, or anything like that. Malik shares his take on what actions can be taken at both the interpersonal and institutional level to tackle racism. I think the action that I did could be really useful, really breaking the thought of, because then we are faced with media, which are also biased, it's also sometimes extreme right. I think they can like misuse every information they have and, and take it into their advantage and really mislead people who yeah who don't do not have any experience of that. And I think it's it's time that we break this barrier and really I think if if people don't want to go to us, it's maybe it's time that we go to them. And that's kind of what I did. And I really hope that this will have an impact. If it's a little bit too late for the parents, I would accept that, but at least give it to the children, I think. Also, meanwhile, I see that my, my town where my parents live have been changing drastically. I see more and more young families coming from all over the, over the countries. I have uh, another neighbor in the other street that comes from Congo. I have uh, other from Algeria. From So I think it's inevitable that we will, yeah, there will be a little bit more mixed. We are not living in the 90s or the 80s where it was strict or censor only white people and some migrants would be asked to come to help, for example, uh, in, in the coal mines and all of this. This is really passé, so it's not anymore of our time. We will have people coming from all over the world and storing, and I think it's something that we will have to live with. And I think the best way to do it is really to get to know them and to really open your mind and stop being biased in a certain way. But I think another aspect is also because we still have different people who are not giving right chances. This is also something that's still vivid and also really actual because we see, and now when I'm living in Brussels, I see a lot of young people in the streets and all of this. So for this, I think this is also useful to kind of integrate them and give them also chances into the labor market. I think this is another topic that goes a little bit further than race and racism. But this is also something important because as long as people from minorities don't get the chances, they will still be and feel that they are a minority. I think giving more management positions to people of minority or giving more responsibility functions will change that and will give them chances and will get them out of this bubble of, okay, you guys are minorities, you will only do the tasks that are below everything, which is management functions and all of this. So this is also something that needs to be done. I think it's not only Belgium, I think it's most of the European cities that struggle also with this.
I think this is really something important and also indeed media portraying more people from skin color, also using them in ads. This is something in Belgium that is recently being done. But I think uh, three or four years ago, it wasn't even done. So it were only white people in ads. Now you always see at least one people of, of color. I think these small baby steps could have uh, an impact. And I sure hope it, they will eventually. You can find more information about discrimination in Belgium, as well as other articles, books and videos Malik recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luke and Yui. Other music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Malik for his time and energy in sharing with us some of his painful experiences and important reflections on this issue.